streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We are talking Michigan's national championship victory over Washington, 34-13 to in Houston. Myself, Alejandro, Sam Webb, Josh Newkirk, we are all down here providing coverage, so be sure to check it all out over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Kind of a, I guess it was a little bit of a close game, but then Michigan started to pull away, and even when it was close, it did feel like this was Michigan's game to win. Uh, You know, you saw the run game run for over 300 yards and eight yards per carry, something they hadn't done either of those things all season, and then the defense probably can't come up with enough adjectives to to describe this defense. I mean, this this is this is one of the best defenses of the 21st century. You know, I asked Trevor Keegan about it after the game. He he said 2001 Miami, 2021 Georgia, and 2023 Michigan. Those were his top three, and kind of looked at the numbers. I'm sure 2011 Alabama probably sneaks in there, but but uh, yeah, really. Really, really impressive defense all season, but then against the number one passing offense, against a team that, that had all these great passing stats and was supposed to, you know, expose a Big Ten defense. Michigan did the exposing with their defensive play. So really, uh, across the board, felt like a a very strong victory. We don't, we don't really need to get into the nitty gritty. This is a little bit more of a big picture podcast talking about what went into becoming a national championship team and what's next for the Wolverines. And so Steve, we will talk about the game what impressed us the most in just a moment, but thinking about the national championship, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. I think we did a lot of those episodes kind of maybe we weren't jerks about it, but in the back of our minds we're like Michigan just might not win a national championship in our lifetime because in, in the previous what 70 plus years, 75 years, they had won in 1997 and so I, I remember like 2017 you know 2019 those years it just it felt like even if it was only technically a few wins here and there away it did feel like at times they were they were really far from it but the last three years Michigan has made a lot of changes to make that a realistic not just dream but a goal they are 40 and three the last three seasons they have three big 10 titles and a national title and they have three losses. They literally have more championships than they do losses in the last three years. So did a, they did a lot of things differently. They got a lot bigger in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They got they had new coaches in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, I think Michigan had some great running run game play. They switched defensive coordinators. They a lot of talk about the culture change becoming a player led culture. Ben Herbert has had an increased role in these players and. Some co- some assistant coaches have pointed out uh, this is a much more Jim Harbaugh, you know, the recruiting classes of of 2021 and 2022, and I would say 2018 and 2019 as well, have shifted toward m- being a lot more like Harbaugh guys. So there's a lot of different things going on here, and we could probably talk for three hours if we really wanted to break down, you know, everything that, that Michigan did or did right uh, since that 2020 season when they went two and four. But in your mind, what is the one, and perhaps something that came up 
if you were watching, you know, when you were watching yesterday, what is maybe the one that jumps out the most to you as the most important difference maker in Michigan going from the good, not great team, and then obviously the bad two and four 2020 season to a team that that marched its way to a national title this season? Tough question, obviously. I, you know, and we and I say this knowing what we talk. By the way, Trevor Keegan, college football historian, here dropping the 01 Miami. Yeah, he, he like it was right away too. Yeah, he, yeah, that's he impressive. That one on his. <clears throat> I like that. That's that's pretty impressive. So, you know, I, I, it's to me, it's two things. It's got to be Sharon Moore's ascension, right? from tight end coach to offensive line coach to offensive coordinator slash offensive line coach. You know, it really kind of felt like, and here's the thing, like Michigan had some really good offensive lines, like under uh, Ed Warner too, right? It wasn't like Michigan uh, wasn't starting to turn around. We, I mean, it feels like forever ago, but we talked about how long it took them as a program to get out of that hole of those major missed recruiting classes under Brady Hoke because they were continually playing guys who weren't totally ready, you know, offensive line, a position where unless you're like elite, 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 not a spot where you're normally going to make a major impact the first one or two seasons. Right. I mean, we're looking at a situation now going into next season where guys like Gio L. Hadi, Greg Crippen will be here for their third or fourth seasons. And they're, they're just now in a position to maybe take a starting spot. Right. I think that's the way, Teams would love to have it. Michigan was unable to have that for a long time. So just sort of that transition continuing, but also shifting over from from Ed Warner to to Sharon Moore really seemed to, I guess I go back to when Michigan started to have success under Moore on the offensive line. There were just the belief that there there was just much more of a cohesive unit between coach and player. And at a position like offensive line, you know, chemistry, cohesiveness is uh, paramount. So I think a lot about that. But then I think the other e- pretty easy one, in my opinion, Michigan finally got some elite quarterback play for an entire season. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, you know, we look back at teams that have won the national championship, whether it's the 100 that Alabama's won or Georgia's won a couple here. The two, you know, even though the way Michigan won last night, they won it by running the football. But high-level defensive play and quarterbacks who don't make mistakes. Now, a lot of the times it's been quarterbacks have been the best player. You know, you talk about like Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson. Um, But it's almost always mistake-free play from your quarterback and then an elite defense. And obviously Michigan had both of those. So while the defense, I think, carried Michigan in the play not carried but like was the main catalyst maybe even throughout the entire season I think for Michigan to get here I think it yeah it was more about sort of the ascension of the culture up front on the offensive line and finally getting uh, elite quarterback play yeah those I mean Hard to argue with those that's the fun thing about this question I think every answer is technically a right answer it's just a matter of what what you think shifted the most and the quarterback one. Yeah. As soon as they, as soon as Jim Harbaugh found a five-star quarterback that reminded him of him, you know, suddenly the program is if literally 40 and three since JJ McCarthy set foot on campus and he's what 27. Yeah. 27 and one as a starter. So 
hard to argue with that. I think, I think the thing that jumps out to me is how player led this team is, you know, that I think that is one of those cliches that people like to use, but I think, you know, they've had coaches kind of shift in and out, right? I mean, Mike McDonald was here for a year. He left and you're not keeping all 10 assistant coaches these days. Now this past year, they did get to keep a lot. And I think the allure of winning a national title really helped with that. And I think the cohesiveness and, and camaraderie among the assistants plays a role in that as well. But, but really, I mean, coaches kind of come and go, but teams are going to be defined by how their players work and how their players work together, but also how they work during the off season. Cause it's, it's an interesting dynamic in my opinion, where these players are doing something workouts, film practice, they're doing something probably 350 days a year. If you really think about it, but I would argue most of those are not days where they are like working directly with their assistant coaches. You know, it's whether it's, you're working with the strength and conditioning staff, whether you're doing stuff on your own, whether you're, yeah, like it's January and you're just coming in to get a lift in. And so it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like, it is this every single day you're doing something, but you don't necessarily have the coaches. So you have to have some internal drive, some self-motivation and, you know, you have to have leaders that motivate the team because I think there's, there's a big difference between I'm going to go, and get a lift in in January versus what Michigan has been doing, which is just a, a, a different level of intensity and tenacity. And I think the two and four season motivated that. I think the losses to Ohio state motivated that. I think, you know, the, the outside doubt played a big role in that, but I think also this is a team that, that Jim Harbaugh, you know, Mike, Mikey Sainer still told me a few months ago, you know, he came in, he basically told the seniors after that 2020 season this team is going to go as far as you take us. I could be the best coach in the world. I could be the worst coach in the world. This team's going to go where you players take it. And I think that's a challenge, but that's also an opportunity. I mean, that's an empowering move for Jim Harbaugh to do because he can't watch ESPN for 10 minutes without Jim Harbaugh's name being mentioned. And yet he's telling these players, hey, you're in charge here. And I, I remember when, Jesse Minter, and I think Mike McDonald might have done it too, but in their first meeting with the players, they said, what do you want this defense to be known for? And even if they have ideas on the schemes and ideas on the approaches and, and the personnel and the, the stuff that they want to do with the defense, I mean, there is something to be said for empowering your players to drive the bus. Because ultimately, if your players are the ones leading workouts, right, you know, inspiring their teammates, providing the motivation, providing the the fire, right? Those teams are going to go further because coaches, they only get to, you know, inspire and motivate whatever so many days a year. It's got to be the players. It's got to be players like Blake Corum. It's got to be players like Chris Jenkins. Think about all the all the workouts and the, the work we've heard about their physical development, mental development, just becoming the best versions of, of themselves. Or it's got to be players like, Junior Colson playing, winning a Big Ten championship with clubs on both of his hands, right? There, there, there has to be a certain. It's got to be led by the players. Trevor Keegan, you know, Zach Zinter, Michael Barrett, Mike Sainer. Still, I mean, two guys who switched positions while they were at Michigan weren't necessarily expected to be 
star defensive players. I mean, they were ranked, I think they were both outside the top 500 in the 24-7 sports composite. They've spent a combined 11 years on campus, and here they are, star players, captains for a national championship defense, one that, that we're talking about as one of the best of the 21st century. So, yeah, I think I think becoming player-led really, I mean, I think a lot of the other ones get a lot of airtime. They, they've had their moment in the sun because the bigger D tackles, that made, that made a huge difference on Monday. You know, the offensive line made a huge difference. The run game, yes, quarterback, as you mentioned. I think having a defense that's that's multiple, I mean, how I, I don't have the exact quote, but, you know, the players were talking about, and, and so was Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Ohio State game, you know, how Michigan was confusing them with their coverage. And that's not something you see a ton of at the college level. So, you know, it, it all it all factors in. But I think at the end of the day, your team's going to go as far as your seniors, your leaders, your hardest workers go. Because Aiden Hutchinson, when he was on Michigan's team, he was their hardest worker. Blake Corum, he was a unanimous All-American who could have gone pro. He came back and not only was the team's hardest worker, I mean, he won the player-voted blue-collar award. Like, if your best player is also your most blue-collar player, uh, that's that's going to be a good team culture. That's going to be a hard-working football team. So I think that's that's a big one. I do think, you know, if you're if you're quantifying it, I, I think that the Ben Herbert effect is definitely real. You know, I, I will have a story about it in the next couple days, but he does the strength and conditioning. And I'm emphasizing that that's two separate things because I think he he obviously knows how to lead workouts, get you stronger, get you faster. But I think he does a lot of mental conditioning, you know, with the different, I think the, the classic example is every day in the summer, uh, they all draw cards and whoever has, he just picks a random number and those players have to go jump in the ice tub in their clothes and then go work out. And sometimes they, he's, you know, they have him go jump in the ice tub and he says, just kidding. You're not going to today. Like he just, he does things to kind of like challenge you mentally, keep you on your toes, keep you from getting into a, from getting, getting lulled into a routine. He's very much about the, like in football, something different can happen every single game. And so that's how he kind of treats the workouts. And it's, you know, he wants you to be, if it, if it's randomly 22 degrees and snowing, you don't care if it's 94 degrees and windy, like it was in Nebraska. You don't care. So I think I think he he Ben Herbert built Michigan to be the toughest team in America. And I think that really showed against Alabama. I think that really showed against Ohio State. And I think in route to becoming the toughest team in America, I think Michigan became the best team in America. So very impressive across the board. But I mean, you know, it's it's probably the stuff that books could be written about, you know, how how Michigan evolved from 2020 and also 2019 and and all that into a program that I mean it's them in Georgia the past three years in terms of who's been the best so and Georgia's got a lot more five-star recruits Georgia's got uh you know a little bit more of a talent base to work with as do other programs so for Michigan you know I I when I look at their national title I I see a title that was won through largely just hard work and grit I mean, there there's certain pieces that fell in into place or whatever, but yeah, very impressive. On that note, Steve, talking about this game specifically against Washington, 
what impressed you the most, whether it was an individual play or a player stepping up or a trend you saw or a position group that really jumped out to you? What what was something that, that looking back on this game, because I think immediately, I don't know about you, but immediately I feel like everyone started talking about the season in general. But looking back on this game, what was something that jumped out to you as maybe, you know, a lot of things went the way we expected, but at the same time, they won the national title game by 21 points. So there had to be a few, few things that, that really jumped out as impressive. Along. Uh, I think it was impressive how right we were about this game uh, as far as yeah, it, it, it really did. It felt like Michigan really had Penix thinking and scrambling mentally, right? Go back to the Marvin Harrison stuff about the coverages. You know, we talked about that in the preview. I'd say, so, I mean, yeah, so I'm impressed at how right we were, but I actually almost think we weren't, maybe we also weren't as right as we maybe could have, like, they did a better job of it than I thought they even would, right? He was just off balance all night. Michigan's interior defensive line, and again, I go back to our season previews and all that stuff. We, I, You know, I said this was the year where, you know, it, it's been Michigan. Their ability to, to disrupt was from the outside in, and this year was going to be the opposite, where it was going to be the inside, making life a little bit easier for the guys on the outside. And yesterday was another prime example of that, right? Mason Graham should be a first-team preseason All-American next year. No ifs, ands, or buts. Force the pressure that caused Will Johnson's interception to start the second half. Uh, but just a force throughout, right? So, otherwise, yeah, I mean... It just it it's this game actually did kind of play out a lot the way that I thought it would. I did not think Michigan would win by 21 points, but Zach, if we tell everyone, did we not before we re-recorded? I think we both talked about, you know, you don't really have the balls to predict a blowout in the national championship game, but right. we both said we <laughs> both did say before we we pressed record that there were the makings of a of a dom- a potentially dominant win for Michigan in this one, just because it felt like Washington was Michigan was a really bad matchup for Washington, and, and that's how it played out. So, again, yeah, can't say enough about J.J. McCarthy. No mistakes, made the right throws when he needed to. Uh, Donovan Edwards finally you know, does does what Donovan Edwards does, which is make big plays on the on the biggest in the biggest moments. Uh, you know, so two easy touchdowns for him. Uh, and and he really came to play. That might be a nice, should be a nice confidence boost for him heading into the offseason. Again, I, I can't, I just don't see him leaving. I just still don't think there's enough there. Um, you know, and so I think that to, to, to end this season on such a high note after what was an admittedly long season for him is the best possible scenario heading into 2024. So, yeah. Otherwise, this was this kind of was the way Michigan has won all year, is it not? Run. I mean, they yeah. did run the football more effectively than they have, but it was still just that the same blueprint where uh, suffocating defense caused a couple turnovers, and Michigan just wore the opponent down in the second half on both sides of the football. Uh, that's how Michigan's been doing it for the last couple of years. And yeah, yesterday was sort of the cherry on top of that because it's exactly how they won. And uh, again, like I, I think we, I think I felt like that's what we thought was going to happen. And, and Michigan maybe did an even better job of it than we thought they would. 
I can agree with that. I mean, we were nothing new for us, right? But yeah, I think the uh, the game did play out pretty similar. I mean, we talked about in the pregame podcast the Washington's run defense pretty suspect. You know that that was a we circled that as kind of a potential like, hey, the Michigan run game of old of last year is probably going off on this defense. And then we saw the Michigan run game of last year. You know, Donovan Edwards, he's probably what impressed me the most because I, I don't think I predicted Michigan to win. I think we both predicted Michigan to win by double digits, put up 30-plus points, and have success in the run game. But I don't know that I would have predicted Donovan Edwards to run for 100 yards and to have two touchdowns and to have his two longest carries of the year. But credit to him, I think it was, it was it was neat talking to him about this season because I think a lot of players would have like downplayed their struggles or been like, hey, what are you talking about? I just ran for 100 yards in the championship game. But he was pretty open. He was pretty open before the game, too. You know, he's been been seeing a therapist. He's been you know leaning into his faith, kind of getting a little more introspective. Uh, and I think it's it's really matured him. To be honest, I, I I don't know that I've spent enough time with him to to unpack it much more than that. But but you know, hearing some of his comments after the game and and uh, you know his view of everything, I think he's it's hard not to be happy for him to have this kind of breakthrough game because I think it validates a lot of of the work he's put in that doesn't always get seen. Like against Alabama, he had four carries for eleven yards. That's not. Re- reflective of the work that he's put in that's not reflective of the player that he is and so yeah for him to to rattle off a couple of big runs I mean that that just helped Michigan I mean that flipped the whole game in Michigan's favor I mean without those runs I still kind of feel like Michigan wins but I think they have to sweat a little bit more I think they have to you know they might be going into halftime trailing or who knows but yeah I mean that that really that that made it Michigan's game to win as opposed to like a toss up between two undefeated teams. And so that, that really impressed me. And I just, yeah, just hearing kind of his, his viewpoint of it. And I think the the message that he had both before and after the game was this was a game where he was going to let go of the pressure. I mean, he was really going to just try to get back to basics, not think about what he should be doing, what, what, you know, his, his box score stats should look like. Yeah. He's just going to go, go out there and, try to do one play at a time, try to do his job and just hope for the best in it. And it worked. So hats off to him. I, I, I think, uh, you know, Michael Barrett mentioned to me, he's like a lot of players in his situation might've kind of packed it in for the season or pouted or, or maybe even hit the transfer portal. Donovan Edwards didn't. And I'm sure he's glad that he didn't, he didn't pack it in. And I'm sure Michigan is too. Cause, cause uh, you know, he went off in the, Michigan's biggest game of the 21st century. So that that really impressed me. Totally agree with you on the um, pressuring Penix, making him uncomfortable. In 17 dropbacks where he was pressured, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, Penix was three for 15 passing for 14 yards. He had one touchdown in those three completions, but you know that fourth down, I guess it was Washington's only touchdown. That fourth down pass, uh, but he had two picks, three for 15 passing. He also took a 12-yard sack, and he had a five-yard scramble. So basically, he had a net gain of, what, seven yards in 17 dropbacks where he was under pressure. So, you know, we we mentioned that that's probably going to make a big difference in the game. I even pulled out the 
the different passing stats when he's under pressure, kind of dropped the C.J. Stroud comparison. And I feel like that played out pretty similarly. When he when he had a clean pocket, Penix was money. He threw for over 250 yards. It did feel like they connected on a few of the, the downfield plays. Not as many of the deep passes as they would like, though. I mean, they had 77 in their first 14 games. They had one last night. So that that was another key. But I do think the pressure helps with that. You know, that prevents the the long downfield passing plays from being there. So, yeah, I think Michigan's defensive front brought pressure all night. Hard not to, like, if you're giving out helmet stickers or or game balls, it's hard not to give it to the the Michigan defensive front, especially the tackles. I feel like, the you know, Kenneth Grant, Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, they were really providing a lot of pressure. How many times on this podcast have we talked about as soon as Michigan can get consistent pressure from its interior tackles, they're going to be a national title caliber team, or at least a national title caliber defense. And that's that's what they've been all season, and that's what they were on Monday. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll zoom out a little bit more. We'll talk about the legacy of this senior class, and then we'll also talk about the most important stay-or-go decision that isn't Jim Harbaugh or J.J. McCarthy. This is the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. So, Steve, I kind of gave my thoughts on the senior class a moment ago when I talked about the player-led team, thinking about Michael Barrett, Mikey Sainer still, you know, Blake Corum, Trevor Keegan's exit, a lot of blue-collar, gritty seniors who have been around long enough to remember when things weren't so easy for Michigan, where Ohio State didn't seem like a game that they could win, where the college football playoff was kind of like this foreign concept and and the national championship altogether was, was was definitely a foreign concept. But I want to get your thoughts, I mean, on this senior class. Some of them will come back, right? The COVID of it all kind of makes things interesting. I, I've seen the 44 seniors mentioned a lot. I, I, I do want to say that's that's a good IQ test. If someone's dropping the 44 seniors, Michigan is not going to lose 44 seniors. They aren't one. I think that includes redshirt juniors and maybe even some redshirt sophomores because Michigan does not list the redshirt stuff on their official roster. And then two, I mean, a lot of those players might come back for a fifth year anyways. It happened last year. It happened the year before. It happened the year before. I mean, it, it, it's just a part of college football. So they're not losing 44 seniors, but they are going to lose a lot of seniors. And there's a lot of guys who, who won't be back next year whether it's the offensive linemen, there's a number of defensive standouts. Your thoughts on the legacy of Michigan's senior class that captured a national title on Monday. Man, a lot of great individual stories, right? A lot of journeys. You know, I said you, you mentioned Barrett and Sanger still are two that immediately come to mind in that regard. As far as, I mean, we got to look, I mean, we'll see where, he goes in the NFL draft, but 
Mike Sanderson's position change has got to be up there with Richard Sherman as far as Harbaugh's best, you know, because he's got a decent track record at this point of like moving guys around. The level that Mike Sanderson has played at for Michigan the last, we'll say, season and a half, you know, has just been, it's been one of the biggest catalysts to their success defensively. It's why they're, they seem to be looking a lot harder for guys that are just like him, not just in the uh, on the recruiting trail, but even in the transfer portal. Uh, they're looking for that. They want an elite nickel seems to be like much higher on the list than maybe it was in the past. So, and Michael Barrett, yeah, high school quarterback, never really knew exactly, thought he was probably going to play at linebacker, but there was talk he could be a running back. I mean, and then just another guy who ascended in the last two seasons, I think in particular, but yeah, I think the legacy a lot for these guys is staying the course. I, and, and you talk about going back to the the player-led workouts, the player-led stuff. I really kind of think, you know, he's not part of the senior class, but I think a guy like Aiden Hutchinson like is the one that really maybe set the tone for this, these types of stories for these guys as far as, you know, that. I always go back to when Harbaugh talked about Hutchinson uh, ringing himself out every day. Feels like there's about 20 guys in the team that do that now, or at least it feels like they do. So, you know, I think it's it's a torch, a mixture of like a torch passing, but also just get guys having faith in the coaching staff and their plan for them, and vice versa. Again, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, I I still think offensively, I just I think just that you talked about the grittiness, the toughness. I think that's where that really. Stands out. You talk about the Keegans, the Zinters, Barnhart, Corum, obviously. Even a guy like Cornelius Johnson, who is probably never going to get enough credit for some of the big plays that's he, that he's made, particularly in the big games. Never was a Michigan's like statistical, like uh, was never like a statistical uh, elite statistically, but but just always had a knack, seemed to have a knack for making a, a e play at big points in, in a lot in most of Michigan's biggest games. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's very hard to narrow it down to like a couple sentences about what this group's legacy will be. But I think the biggest thing is a true cohesiveness. You know, Michigan isn't going to win a national title the same way schools like Georgia and Alabama do where it's just reloading with 10, 12 top 100, not just four star, Guys, like we're talking like 10, 12, like top 100 level players every single season, you know, where where I don't necessarily think they're individual players. Obviously, when those teams win that have great stories and, and great have had big journeys. But by and large, it's it's very talent driven when you're seeing the same programs win. all, You know, and Michigan's got a ton of talent on this team. There is a bunch of guys that are gonna get drafted, but it's not the same type of talent. A lot of the talent was developed. A lot of the talent took time to shine. So uh, for for this group in particular, I think it is. It's a lot about that journey and sort of that, yeah, that that gradual build of cohesiveness because it, it, it did start to get to the point. And I say this knowing that Michigan only trailed for like, what, 40 minutes all season or something? Like some outrageous stat they only trailed like for yeah i think it was only 13 minutes in the second half right like just out like stats that don't even make sense 
you know, so I say this knowing that, but also just it, I don't know if there was a point in any game this season, even against Alabama in the second half when they did trail because it was such a foreign thing, but you just kind of felt like they were going to pull it out. And, uh, you know, that that's not normal in football, right? Teams lose all the time. Uh, but with this group, it just this this season in particular, uh, just kind of felt like a culmination of all that <clears throat> that that building that that building of chemistry cohesiveness that that really can help lead you to a championship team. I guess maybe all I'm thinking like a lot of selflessness too, right? Yeah. Not not a senior, but I look at McCarthy, you know, a guy who if Michigan wanted to drop back and throw the ball forty times, he'd probably be taught be being talked about as a top 10 draft pick Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, like both neither of them caring or having any issues with, you know, not being the guy, um, particularly Edwards, who again, not a senior, but at the same time, you're Blake Corum uh, Corum. Think of the stats he could have put up if he was getting 20% more carries. So or the receivers, Excellent blocking, excellent blockers on the outside, guys that have put the work in there. Also, sort of with the style of Michigan's offense, you know, possibly sacrificing individual statistic for team benefit, you know. And so I, I do think that, yeah, the, the selflessness also uh, for the players, I think, is another thing that now that I talk it out kind of really stands out. It does. I, I do. I mean, we talked about the position changes. We talked about players having to wait their turn. We talked about players having maybe lesser roles than they might have at a different team. And and they didn't, not a lot of departures. I mean, obviously players are going to transfer and that, that totally makes sense for, for a lot of players, but this was a team that, uh, you know, especially the seniors who were around for that two and four season. I mean, Steve, it wasn't necessarily as bad as some people portray it, but that whole thing was in danger of unraveling. I mean, everything Michigan had built and we're not just talking about the head coach situation i mean the culture could have stayed bad it could have gotten worse you know it, it, it could have been a lot of finger pointing and and aiden hutchinson and josh ross and some of the players in that class deserve a lot of credit but i think you know talking to different players in this team it's very clear the presence that guys like saner still barrett quorum jenkins keegan and zinter i mean it's it's very apparent the the role they play in, in keeping this team motivated, keeping this team hungry. I think that's that's a big part of it. Is they, they didn't bail and go look for something easier or a more ready-made championship contender. They they stayed and did the work. Again, I think it's such a huge influence on your team when your best players and your most experienced players are also your grittiest and hardest working players. Because it's it's great when you can have, you know, a third string linebacker be this gritty, hardworking, practice, you know, warrior. But if you can have that same mentality and have it beat someone with Blake Corm's talent, uh, that's even better. That's even better. So, yeah, I could probably talk about, you know, this senior class for a long time. Uh, really impressive individuals when you talk to them, too. Very smart. Very mature. I mean, I don't know the exact majors and GPAs, but, like, Blake Corm's a smart dude. Uh, Zach Zinter is very smart. Mikey Sainer still extremely smart. I was talking to one of our national writers and about it because he was interviewing players all week. And he's like, 
yeah, this is, this team is really smart. Like all their, all their seniors and captains are, are just like, they, they get it. They're like, it's like talking to NFL players and that's great in interviews. It's even better in film room, right? It's even better when you're putting together a game plan. Yeah. That's, that's how you do it. I guess, you know, have, have depth, have experience, have a lot of guys come back, have a lot of guys stick around when things get tough. Don't, don't cower away. Right dig their heels in and, and figure it out together and not something every program has the luxury of being able to do, but, but Michigan did it impressive to them. All right, let's turn the page briefly. Now we don't want to talk forever and ever about these decisions because I think by Monday, they all have to be made. I think either Sunday or Monday is the NFL draft declaration deadline. And then the other day is the transfer portal because Michigan and Washington have a few extra days to do, to enter the transfer portal. I'm guessing a lot of players who might think about transferring might just wait until the spring at this point because the semester starts uh, literally tomorrow in Ann Arbor. So kind of a kind of a weird bind if you're on the fence about transferring. But a lot of NFL draft decisions. I think when I I did a story on it in December, and I'll probably re-up it and update things, but I think I had 19 players with draft decisions to make even meaning that they technically had eligibility but hadn't announced what they were doing so anyway a lot of decisions the two that have gotten a lot of focus jim harbaugh and potential nfl offers and then jj mccarthy of course we can talk about those probably once they're decided upon i don't want to record a podcast and then by the time i upload it a decision has been made but for the other players thinking about the other players with remaining eligibility but they're also draft eligible. What's one that you're circling, Steve, that that you think is most important for Michigan for next year? Oh boy, <laughs> player wise, um, tough one. I, I almost got to think it's got to be like a coaching thing. I don't think he's going to be back, but I would just say like having Jesse Minter back for another year would be a huge win for Michigan. I, I guess I think about somebody like Rod Moore. I think Braden McGregor. Is a guy who a could le- yeah. who could leave, and could leave and could find early success in the NFL. But is a guy I think is someone who could have a huge year. Like they have a few guys I think on their on their roster that are like right on that borderline of. They're all good enough to go, and they could go and they could get drafted in decent spots. But guys who are primed to maybe take a, a bigger, even bigger leap next year. Um, and McGregor is one of those. So he'd, he'd probably kind of be the other one. I'd be interested to know. I mean, it, it does, did, did, didn't Carson Barnhart pretty much already come out and say he was leaving? Um, yeah. And, and on that note, I will say a lot of these decisions having now talked to between me and Alejandro, I think we've talked to almost everyone who was on my list about their decisions. A lot of it is, you know, it's it's not quite the same as it normally is because a lot of these extra eligibility seasons are COVID. It's the extra COVID year. So it's not necessarily a season they they planned on. And, you know, Carson Barnhart and Trente Jones, um, Barnhart basically said he, he's gone, but Trente Jones, I think he's a little bit more on the fence. But, you know, one of the factors is he's 22, 23 years old. Right. He already has a master's degree. Like, like there is some sense of like, Hey, the, 
the college experience. I mean, you know, because Barnhart, it would have been a sixth season and a fourth or fifth season as a starter. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a different. Some of these players have like little somewhat different dynamics where it's like in their mind, they're not actually leaving early. They just aren't capitalizing on an extra year that they have. Yeah, but here's the other here's the other wild card, though, Zach, is the the NIL stuff. Right. I mean, this this crowdfunding that Michigan has done is has absolutely dwarfed last year. And with them winning the national title, I feel like there's going to be no shortage of people that are going to continue to donate to a fund like that, that Champion Circles Fund, which I believe last I checked, it's somewhere near $700,000 has been raised. And like I said, not really slowing down. So that's another, yeah, you talk about the COVID year sort of being a, a bit different variable in here, but so is that that crowdfunding, the NIL stuff, you know, and we saw how that ended up getting guys like uh, like Trevor Keegan, Zach Zinter, and Blake Corum to return you know, that may be a situation where you're a guy like a, like, again, like a Rod Moore or a Braden McGregor, where it's like, these guys are not going to be in a dire, like they could, they could be in a beneficial financial situation, regardless if they decide to go to the draft or if they decide to come back, you know? So if it's like a get drafted in the second or third round versus coming back, getting paid or making good money to play, for Michigan for another year and possibly propelling yourself into like first round consideration, which is kind of how I feel like it would be with Bra- a guy like Braden McGregor. You know, I really think if he came back and had another, like had a, maybe a more, I'm not big on the raw statistics and I don't think raw statistics matter as much when it comes to the NFL anymore. I think it's all about what you see on the film, but I just, he's one of those guys who I think again, could leave tomorrow, could get drafted in a pretty decent spot and have a great NFL career. But as a guy, I think could really be primed, to ascend even further next year, you know, I think it makes that decision a little bit tougher than it normally would. So that's why I'm almost a little interesting to hear certain guys say that they're already out the door because yeah, this is not the same college football. It was even what at this point, even three, four years ago, like there's actual financial considerations to make no matter what direction you decide to go. So I would almost think, there's a bigger emphasis on honest conversations with the coaches about where, you know, like I take a guy like Harbaugh who's had so much, I got to assume there's conversations there about, you know, this is where we, we feel like we've, how many times we've, we've seen Jim Harbaugh openly say that of certain guys are ready to go, whatever. It's not a deal where they're, they want him to come back just to keep a good player around. I, I just, I just wonder how some of these conversations could go as far as we have no doubt you'll get drafted. We think you could really, we think you could improve your stock. And oh, by the way, here's this NIL fund, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I got to think with the amount of money they've raised that a couple of guys who maybe in a normal year would have left may end up coming back next year. So who would that be? No idea. Yeah. And part of it is, with other players at your position leaving, you might have more of a chance to showcase what you can do. Cause I, I will say you credit to Michigan. They finished business this year. No one is coming back saying they have unfinished business. Uh, you know, that's just, and, and, you know, leading up to the Rose bowl, when we were talking to a lot of these players, almost all of them said, it depends on how things go 
against Alabama or in the college football playoff because those are opportunities to show what you can do against scouts of every team in the NFL. It's, a, it's an opportunity to show what you can do against top-tier talent, you know, top four, four teams. And Michigan looked really, really good, especially defensively in these two games. So, yeah, a lot of these players are going to have more NFL interest than they did a month ago. So I think uh, it'll be interesting, but but you're right. Like Braden McGregor, for example, well, if Jalen Harrell leaves, you know, just it, can he play on the other side? I know he doesn't normally play on that side, but, you know, you start to think about some of those things or, or you know, to me, the two most important ones for Michigan to, to you know, if I'm, if I've got $700,000 to spend, you know, this is where I might try to go is Trent A. Jones and Donovan Edwards. I mean, Trent A. Jones, he looked like a draft caliber tackle down the stretch. You know, when he kind of the big 10 championship game, the Alabama game, the Washington game, uh, he looked, he looks ready, but he also could do it, do it for a whole season. Maybe be first team, all big 10, maybe climb up that draft board or Donovan Edwards. Well, Blake Corum's gone, so he could theoretically come back and be kind of the go-to every down running back. So I think I think that can play a factor because I don't think too many players are going to look at this and say, oh, I'm disappointed with how the season ended. You know, I got more, got more I got to do. You know, if people come back, it will be not in a anti-Michigan way, but it'll be a business decision. It'll be, I want to improve my draft stock. The NIL opportunity was there and it's enticing and that's why I'm back. And and I want to be a leader of this team. I do think the opportunity to be a captain of a top five team and all that can come with both in NIL, but also in legacy and things that might drive a few people too. you know, Rod Moore could be one of them. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of decisions. Definitely check out the coverage over at the Michigan Insider dot com, Michigan at 24 seven sports dot com. Steve, Michigan doesn't win a national championship that often. We don't normally do one of these podcasts. Anything else you want to add or anything else you want to say about this year's team and this year's run? Uh, I mean, we kind of talked about it in the preview of the game. It was like, it was a lot of, obviously it's a lot of fun. There's never a dull moment, good or bad, when covering, uh, well, probably any major college program, I guess. But this, this obviously this season was not normal. Uh for Michigan and uh I just got to think it's got to be if it could feel any better than it normally would I, th- I just think it for this team and this group it has to knowing all of the just bs that was thrown their way uh throughout the season I'm thinking of the players in particular coaches can handle that kind of crap I mean Harbaugh's the kind of guy made to kind of handle those type of distractions you know, and and I wonder, and I assume to an extent that the way Michigan responded at Penn State, I think that was the time where I thought, I think they're going to do it, uh, because <clears throat> I, I think we'd still argue. I think Penn State was the best defense Michigan played this year. Uh, I think Happy Valley. I think you even said toughest place to play, right? Yep, in the say. big in the Big Ten, yeah. at least you know, at least as a, as far as a team that Michigan plays year in and year out. Uh, to go in there and win and the win the way they did. I think that was, for me, that was the moment where I'm like, yeah, they think they, they really might be able to do it. Uh, thought they were going to get to the playoffs either way, but, you know, the playoffs have been a different animal for them. 
quite a cool, pretty cool. It's like hard to believe, you know, you win a national championship and you win six games without your head coach, three of which you're talking at Penn State, you're talking Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. I mean, to beat, you beat Ohio State with an interim head coach uh, is just an Ohio State team that was ranked higher too. You know, uh, not not a, you know, another really good Ohio State team that probably would have given yeah, Alabama. Yeah, so Michigan played them, this was Ohio State's year. Right, exactly. So, you know, to to do that, pretty cool. Like I said, with the, the stupidest scandal uh, in sports history or, or among the stupidest, probably the stupidest college football scandal since the Ohio State tattoo stuff, if I'm being honest. Uh, that's one thing I feel like the rivals have in common or uh, that, two of the stupidest NCAA investigation related scandals or whatever you want to call them were pertained to these two programs. Totally stupid. You know, for, for the, again, I think more for the players to respond the way they did on the field and to handle it the way they did off the field too. But that part, I'm not necessarily, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've kind of talked about it this episode. We've talked about it before. Just they, they almost carry themselves like a pro team. In a lot of ways, I feel like, right? I think the way they interact with the media, you know, I, I even go as far as like the just the extreme amount of like the philanthropy, uh, you know, that that many of the players do, uh, and, and like become like being members of the community. It just kind of feels like Michigan is sort of run the way a pro football team is run operationally. Uh, but the players are still the one that, that the ones that, that make it work and make it go. And uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm trying to think of some of the you know better moments of the season. I, I kind of think about Michigan running the same play like six times in a row with Alex Orgy to score that last touchdown against Michigan state and to see the reaction when he scored. If you go back and watch the highlights of that game, you'll see, I think Sharon Moore. I think some other players screaming over at Michigan State sideline because I think, you know, this was when all that the sign crap was fresh. I got to suspect they believe Michigan State had something to do with at least with the accusations or maybe I think it was their AD was the one quoted as like about player safety. Uh, Again, maybe the stupidest moment in the stupidest scandal ever uh, about being concerned about this player, the safety of his players because Michigan was going to know where their players were going to be because of the this advanced scouting. Uh, so to to beat Michigan State forty nine nothing, I don't care how crappy they were, uh, was was a pretty cool moment. And then, like I said, I you can look at Ohio State, you look at Alabama, but I just to me it was the turning point was that win at Penn State. Uh, Penn State bad offense, but man, their defense so good uh, and so tough at home, and for Michigan to just run the ball. The entire second half control the game was just impressive. And to me, it was the, like I said, the moment when I thought, not that I thought they'd even get there. I, I, I thought they were going to, I had a feeling they would win it after that point, but yeah, a lot of fun. Hey, by the way, you guys killed it too. Good work in Pasadena and in Houston. Our readers are lucky to have you guys. Uh, you guys really did a great job. You and Alejandro always do. So uh, good work to you guys. I know the work's not done. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks for us, but Hopefully you guys will be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor in a few weeks and, and take a little break because I know it's deserved. So yeah, a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. And I know Alejandro does as well. Plenty more to come. Yeah. With all these decisions, 
I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the uh, what's going on with this basketball team. It won't be today, but that will come up at some point. One quick thing I do want to say about, you know, my kind of my parting thoughts on the national championship is something I was thinking about today. And I know, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but what a recruiting class Michigan's 2021 and now 2022 classes are turning out to be 2021. It was ranked pretty high. I mean, I think, I think it ended up 13th, but um, you know, had JJ McCarthy had Donovan Edwards had junior Colson, you know, there, there were some, some headliners, but, but what really impressed me about that class is how it really stuck together. I mean, it was a 23 member class. Michigan goes two and four. They only lose one commitment. I think they lost Xavier Worthy in the in the spring. I don't think that was related to Michigan's two and four record. The fact is, this team saw Michigan struggling, or this class, I should say, saw Michigan struggling, and said, "Bring it on, game on." You know, and JJ McCarthy had a lot to do with all of that. But thinking about all the different factors of Michigan struggling, you know, hot seat talk, and then you also have the the COVID factors where you know these guys aren't necessarily hanging out or getting to know each other in the same way uh, that the previous class were able to do. So yeah, the, the unity and then the trust, I think they've only lost three transfers from that class since then. And you can go look at it over at 24 seven sports. Not a lot of those guys are starting. So there's a lot of faith that, you know, maybe next year can, for, can be the year for like a guy like Rayshon Benny, right. Or, or you could keep going down the list. I wouldn't mean to pick on him, but you know, a lot of players, Greg Crippen, another guy who, you know, next year is kind of the year where he's he's going to get a chance to show what he can do. Giovanni Elhadi. And then I think in addition to the 2021 class, the 2022 class, just darn impressive, especially on defense. Whoever was in charge of scouting and kind of figuring out the, who you know, who the top target should be, boy, they, they really did a nice job in that 2022 class. And I, I've mentioned it before, 2021 and 2022 – not a tip, not typical recruiting years in terms of high school seasons were canceled. You had camps that were canceled. You, you kind of had to do your own work and and work a little bit harder at, at identifying and evaluating talent. But yeah, that 2022 class, add Keon Sab to the list of players who really, really look impressive. He probably was one of the top five most impressive things. I saw against Washington. I thought he had a fantastic game, but you also have Will Johnson. You also have Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Colston Loveland. I mean, these were Derek Moore outside of Will Johnson. These were yes. Yes. Derek Moore. Now Derek Moore and Will Johnson were rated pretty high as recruits, but a lot of those guys and Sab was as well, but, but like Loveland, Kenneth Grant, Mason Graham, they were they eventually got bumped up, but they were not top 100, not even particularly close to top 100 recruits. But Steve, I think from the literal first game they played at Michigan, it was like, oh yeah, Michigan has a hit. And I think that to me, you know, I, I, I you would know better than me, but I remember some of those recruitments. There was a little bit of um, they had to hold off schools who were kind of trying to get involved late. And so that's an advantage to Michigan where 
they were in on these recruits and they often are. Sometimes they do lose recruits that they they're like the first offer on. It feels like running back feels like you're always telling me, oh, yeah, Michigan offered them. And then every other school offered right after. But but, you know, it did feel like 2021 and 2022 because 2021 Rod Moore was a, you know, three star. Yeah, he probably looked probably gets ranked a little bit higher if he's able to do more camps or, or I can't remember if his senior season got canceled, but every, every player, it seemed like had less opportunities to show what they could do, but Michigan just really, really, really standing out in those two classes. And, and it really showed, I think the 2021 playoff push, that was all about the 2018 class. You know, last year it was kind of a little mix of a bunch of different recruiting classes. But this year, you know, for as much as we talk about that senior class legacy, does feel like there's a lot of underclassmen who will be back next year who are not draft eligible, especially on defense. But I would say a couple on offense as well, where Michigan just – they might be a – four-star or even three-star recruit but you watch them play and that's that's a five-star caliber player like Kenneth Grant I don't remember what he was rated it was too low (laughs) Mason Graham same deal Colson Loveland same deal so yeah credit to Michigan I mean that's that's kind of the dream scenario for the Wolverines right because it's for them to recruit at a top five level I, I don't even know exactly how they would go about doing that right now in, in the modern era of college football, but if you can recruit kind of in the eight to 12 or eight to 15 range, find some, some hidden gems or players who are one off season away or one, you know, Ben Herbert summer away, you know, that's how you become, that's how you, that's how you can have some staying power at the top. A lot of it's going to depend on who stays and who goes, but you know, Michigan's going to have a chance to be in the playoff next year and win the whole thing. And they're going to have a lot of players who have played on the national stage uh, and won't wilt in the moment. And so, yeah, just something that jumped out to me kind of when I'm putting together the different stories and thinking, man, that 2022 class, they found another guy who's, who's extremely good. Another guy who can help them. So something to think about, something to think about as, as we start to turn the page toward the 2024 season, we'll have tons and tons and tons of content, both written podcast, video, the whole thing over at 24-7 Sports, the Michigan Insider. So be sure to check that out. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.